Hey listeners, if you're ready to change your life, you've come to the right place. My name is Caleb Truth and I'm your catalyst dedicated to sharing good vibes, mind expanding and heart centered information. Knowledge is power. In this fast paced world, it is so easy to get distracted by the matrix and miss out on connecting with the right people and information that will truly help you in living your best life. On this radio program, I save you time and energy by sharing awesome people, new discoveries, life solutions, and wisdom to help you take action and create a positive shift in your life. I invite you to join me and share in this exciting adventure. Listen to Beyond the Veil on innerlightradio.com every Thursday at 1 p.m. Eastern. Beyond the Veil, inspiring conscious evolution. you lovely listeners this is Caleb Truth and you're now listening to Beyond the Veil on innerlightradio.com where we go beyond the surface level of reality and dive deep to reveal hidden truths and exciting revelations thank you so much for joining me here today it's February the 14th of 2019 and I don't really fully uh, participate any longer in the commercialized day which is valentine's day but for those of you who do i for you i will say happy valentine's day and happy valentine's day to all those who are across the world um and besides that it should be valentine's day every day you know appreciate your loved ones uh build them up support them and just you know revel in the in the energy that comes from all of that um so today this is going to be a really interesting show i have the honor to introduce an amazing group to the rest of you who is uh been doing some amazing work here in toronto in regards to building up young african youth and building the greater african community of toronto uh and this is this is a, a very important thing for any city to have groups like this because it's apparent to maybe uh, maybe not a whole lot, but at least some African people, and then other people of other cultural backgrounds as well, that the African community is still building itself up, it's still healing from a very long, long history of atrocities, I'll say. And for some people, again, I said this on my live stream, they'll tune out, they'll be like, oh, we've been hearing about this like forever, when are we going to stop hearing about people 
like of African descent complain or say this and that or whatever. There's some who have those kinds of opinions or some who are just not consciously aware of how difficult it can be to be of a person of African descent in terms of job opportunities, getting healthcare support, spiritual support, all kinds of stuff. Being a person of African descent immediately means that like you have an extra layer of challenges piled onto you from the time of your birth. And a lot of us, we embrace those challenges with, with dignity and strength, and we do our best to overcome them and to like be ourselves. But it's not easy. It honestly is not easy. And uh, so the, these kinds of organizations that are located around the planet who are doing this kind of work, it's a godsend and it's it's a beautiful amazing thing so uh, today i would like to introduce onto my show an elder of this uh group they're called tabono institute uh welcome on the show sandy way warmest greetings uh caleb truth to you and all the listeners um tuning in to beyond the veil it is an honor and a privilege for me to participate in this exciting program. Yeah, thank you so much for for joining us here today. Um, so, like, yeah, let's let's dive deep in, into getting into the background of Tabono Institute. Like, what can you tell us uh, quickly about this organization? Uh, Tabono Institute is a Pan African research, public policy, capacity building, and archiving. Institute that was founded in October 2012. Uh, when I say it is a Pan-African Institute, I mean that the word Pan means all, all and African meaning Africans or people of African descent or black people. So it, it caters for the specific socioeconomic needs of the black community um, and it caters to a diverse um, cross-section of African or black people born on the continent, uh, uh, in the diaspora, different age groups, and so forth. Wow. That, I mean, it's it's so hard to, like, pinpoint any one of those things. I think they're all amazing. So when did Tabono Institute get launched? Tabono Institute was launched in October of 2012 uh, in order to deal with some key issues uh, unfolding in the African community with respect to uh, capacity building uh, around different black organizations that needed um, an additional layer of leadership training, uh, information and insight with respect to uh, how to obtain resources and other important skills that would make those organizations stronger. Um, the response to Tabono has been very, very positive. We've done uh, some very exciting, innovative projects and programs to help educate our community, to provide support with respect to, for example, uh, we have developed a mental health strategy for the African-Canadian community. Um, we were instrumental in providing uh, cultural and um, ideological and literary input to the report that was launched in 2017, the Black Experience Project Report, 
that was publicly launched around June of that year. So Tobono is involved in many exciting initiatives. The most recent initiative is the launch of the Liberation Learning Academy. And the purpose of that academy is to reach out to uh, young black people around the age of uh, 21 to about 35 to help um, educate and inspire uh, young people around their identity, their culture, around um, issues to do with healing. We have a lot of healing to do in our community, given the daily onslaught of racism and, and white supremacy. So that Liberation Learning Academy uh, was launched two weeks ago, and we're really excited about uh, the program that is in, unfolding with respect to that academy. Yeah, I'm, I'm very excited about that that whole uh, new sector to your organization as well. I think it's going to do amazing, amazing things for the future of Toronto as a city to have Black youth be more empowered and supported. I agree. I, I, I believe that there's a lot of potential uh, with respect to the response that we're receiving from young Black women and men who want to know more about their history, who want to know more about their African or their Black identity. And one of the key things that we're offering is uh, leadership training. So a key part of the Liberation Academy uh, will deal with um, the whole issue of leadership. What is leadership? How can we use our leadership skills and training to deal with the issues that our people face with respect to racism, uh, police violence, uh, gender violence, but also to use it in an inspirational way for young people to advance personal interests that they may have. Maybe it's to do with going back to college, university, trying to find a job. So our leadership training component is specifically geared culturally to the needs of young black men and women and we also recognize that they bring creative genius, um, academic skills, cultural experiences that will enrich the academy. So we don't see that we have all the answers, but we want to work collaboratively with the young people so that we can together draw on each other's strengths and build a very powerful, inspirational liberation learning academy. Wow. This is this is so inspiring and empowering to hear that this is all happening. And I'm really excited to also be a part of it and to join in and to see what uh, magic can be created. But uh, very briefly, can you give us a background on your involvement in Tabono Institute? I'm very proud to say that I was one of the founding members of Tobono Institute in October of 2012. So I have been a part of the leadership circle for approximately five years. Um, I say five years because in the last year or so, because I, I got called to the bar as a lawyer, I've had to uh, reduce the amount of active work that I could do, but nonetheless, I'm, I'm still intimately involved in the organization. So 
I'm proud to say I was one of the founding members of the organization and the uh, leadership circle. The, um, the founder of the organization is Nene Kwasi Kafeli. He's a great leader in our organization. Um, and so my interest in Tobono is also linked with my membership in the All African People's Revolutionary Party, which I've been a member of for 30 years. So I have that history of working closely with members of our community to try to um, find collective solutions to the problems we face. And what motivates me uh, is the love I have for African people around the world, is the pride I have as an African woman, um, knowing the history and culture of our people and how brilliant and resilient and creative we are. I mean, after all, we are the original people on the planet. We were the first people to walk on Mother Earth's beautiful soil in Africa. We were the first people to build great civilizations that still astound the world today in Kemet, in the Sudan, and other parts of, of Africa. We were the first people to build universities and institutions of higher learning. So we are literally a masterpiece. And we have in our culture, our identity, and our history, the solution to all the problems we face. We should never look to other people to solve our problems. We actually have that in our DNA, in our history, and in our culture. So my motivation for joining uh, Tobono is, is primarily driven by the love I have for my people worldwide and my respect for other members of humanity who are also um, affected by capitalism, imperialism, white supremacy, and other oppressive systems that hold back the creative capacities and genius of all of humanity. And if you look at the history of our people, black people, African people, we have always been in the, in the vanguard of transforming um, societies wherever there is injustices, whether it's the, the civil rights movement, um, the pan-African movement, that, that some of them started in, in Africa and the diaspora and spread around the world. Um, the civil rights movement, these movements have impacted not only our community, but other people struggling against injustice, racism, and exploitation. So I'm just a humble servant of my people, and I give thanks to the Creator and the ancestors for all the challenges, all the rewards, and the bright future that we have ahead of us as African people worldwide. Thank you so much for sharing that. Like, Wow. You really, really like exude passion and wisdom and compassion. And I think that's such a beautiful thing. Uh, living here in Toronto, like what are some of the primary challenges you, you think that the black community or African community is facing? I, I think that um, the, the main challenge that we face is that we we live and exist in a white supremacist system, a white supremacist matrix, if you will, in which our identity, our culture, and our history is um, it's negated. It, it is not properly acknowledged. Um, many of the contributions that our people have made 
to world civilization, for example, are, are not taught in the education system. It's only quite recently that um, because of the advocacy work that our people have done, that there is uh, some programs in some schools to, to teach black history. Um, but there still needs to be uh, a lot of work done on that. So I think the greatest challenge is that we're living in a system of capitalism and white supremacy that is rooted in exploitation, racism, um, it's, it's class bias. So we have a situation where, um, what, 1% or less of the population owns and controls the majority of the wealth, not only in Canada, but globally. Uh, so within that framework, we face the challenge of dealing with racism on a daily basis in the workforce, um, in housing, in the education system. So we have to find different ways to educate ourselves about who we are. So we use that as a protective barrier, a protective mechanism against the daily racism that we face. And if one of us faces a racist incident at school, it impacts the whole community because some of our people have been miseducated to think that, oh, oh no, there's no racism in Canada. I've never been affected by it. But if people who look like you, who have the same historical um, foundation as you, who culturally have many similarities to you are being impacted by racism, then it's going to directly or indirectly affect you as an African person. So I think the thing for me is, um, though we have these challenges, and they might seem um, very difficult to overcome, we, we also have many examples of shining warrior brothers and sisters who have done great work uh, with respect to advo advocating against police violence. For example, the local chapter of Black Lives Matter. Mm -hmm. uh, we have Togoro Institute on the front line. We have the All-African People's Revolutionary Party. We have the Nation of Islam. We have the Harriet Tubman Community Organization. And this is yet another example of how great and resilient and um, proactive we are about fighting against injustice. So while there are challenges, our people haven't just sit, sat back passively. We have risen up, we have organized, and we will continue to do so until we achieve our full liberation. Wow. Everything you said was absolutely spot on. Um, in terms of... In terms of uh, dealing with politicians um, in terms of dealing with politicians and other municipal leaders here in Toronto, do you feel that they are receptive to these ideas of supporting the African community or is there still like very little support? That's an excellent question. I think generally politicians by their nature are driven by, um, by a need to maintain their political status and their, their political um, identity within the system. Um, so the work that they do, which they say is on behalf of the general population, is, is motivated by politics. 
and the perception that they have of different groups, uh, whether they're uh, ethnic groups, um, groups that um, advocate um, within the education system or, or otherwise. So I think that um, the politicians, uh, as much as they say that they advocate for everyone, there is a hierarchy there. So white, middle-class um, persons within the, the political system tend to get um, their views, their ideas uh, heard more often and taken more seriously than members of the African community. Now, having said that, on the other hand, there are um, some politicians, for example, at the uh, municipal level in the city of Toronto, who have done some good work on behalf of our community. I'm not taking that away. But generally speaking, politicians have their own agenda to get reelected in many cases um, and to continue to maintain their political identity and status as politicians. So overall, I don't think that they have been effective with respect to advocating on behalf of our community because our community is not seen as a political priority for most politicians at the municipal, um, federal, or provincial level. So why do you think that is? Like, Why is it that the African community is not placed as a priority? I think there's a number of factors. Um, when you look at the population of Canada, there's, what, about 37 million people who live here, more or less. Um, the African community, there might be just over a million of us um, within that number. So on the sort of demographics and numerical level, our population is quite small. Um, I think that institutionalized racism has a lot to do with it, the whole legacy of slavery um, and even the intersection uh, with the enslavement of our ancestors here in Canada with the colonization and genocide against the indigenous people has created um, a perception of the African community um, that is based on racist presumptions um, that, you know, we're, we're very disorganized, um, that we just jump up and complain and then uh, sit back down and don't follow up on our complaints. So I think that those factors have um, a crucial sort of impact on how we are viewed and treated as a political body of people. Uh, so the racism, the historical oppression and exploitation has shaped the sort of landscape view of the African community. But on the other hand, I also think that because we are outspoken and we are known for fighting against injustice, we're also perceived, as small as we are, as, as a threat to the system. Mm -hmm. so, yeah, I think that's an, that in itself yeah. says a lot. That definitely yes, says yes, a lot. Yes, it does. Um, we're gonna we're gonna go for a break in about two minutes. But before we go on break, like I also wanted to comment on a few things from my own personal experience about 
Canadians who believe that racism doesn't exist here in Canada. I moved to Calgary in 2008 after the economic downturn that we had. And my experience in Calgary, some, some of it was absolutely fantastic and it was great. But I did experience racism, like heavy racism in Calgary, where literally like we would have servers not even come and serve us and go and serve other people. We would go to a gas station and they would gas up everybody else's car, but our car. Like it it blew my mind that I was still within Canada. And yet there were Canadians of Caucasian descent who were totally racist and ignorant. It, it it totally blew my mind, and it, it was strange that we're considered to be this melting pot and this great nation of, of many cultures, and yet there's still so many um, ignorant and racist white people here in our country. It was, it was like a huge shock for me. Um, but yeah, we have one minute to go. If you could comment on that quickly, and then we'll go to break. Yeah, I agree with you. I, I think that um, there's still... Uh, the the mask of of Canada being this you know wonderful multicultural society that is welcoming to all people when in fact if you pull away that that mask we see the ugly reality of racism um, sexism and class oppression um, why does that exist I think that and I'll be very straightforward with you. I think there is something within uh, European culture and people of European ancestry, if you study their history, that indicates or demonstrates um, that they have an aversion, and I'm not saying all white people, but there's a significant number to have an impact on our population in their in their nation they have a dislike or aversion to to people of color um if you look at the colonization of the, the americas and the wholesale wholesale massacre of the indigenous people which is still impacting indigenous communities today mm-hmm. if you look at the fact that they left europe the british the french the portuguese and so on went to Africa, enslaved our ancestors, colonized Africa, and now we have a new form of colonization in Africa. They've gone to India. They've gone to what is now called Australia. And these are countries where people of color exist. So I think there is something um, destructive in their culture for them to have to go around the world stealing people's land, colonizing them, and committing genocide. I think we have to look at their cultural history to better understand why this takes place. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that's one thing. And I think it's also a question of, of wanting to maintain power. Yes. Um, and a false sense of racial superiority. I think there's a mix of factors there. Mm-hmm. So uh, we're going to leave it there for now. We're going to go to a quick break. And when we come back, we're going to definitely continue this amazing conversation. So we'll be back in a few moments.
Hey listeners, if you're ready to change your life, you've come to the right place. My name is Caleb Truth and I'm your catalyst dedicated to sharing good vibes, mind-expanding and heart-centered information. Knowledge is power. In this fast-paced world, it is so easy to get distracted by the matrix and miss out on connecting with the right people and information that will truly help you in living your best life. On this radio program, I save you time and energy by sharing awesome people, new discoveries, life solutions, and wisdom to help you take action and create a positive shift in your life. I invite you to join me and share in this exciting adventure. Listen to Beyond the Veil on InnerLightRadio.com every Thursday at 1 p.m. Eastern. Beyond the Veil, inspiring conscious evolution. All right, and we're back. So for those of you who are joining us right now, this is episode 20 of Beyond the Veil, and today's subject is on the resurgence of African power. And today, uh, joining me as my guest, I have Sister Thandiwe from, who's representing Tabono Institute, who's an uh, organization here in Toronto that is focusing on uh, building up the African community and building up African youth and people in general. So before we went to break, we were speaking about uh, the issues around colonization, white supremacy, and how they've been systematically going from one continent to the other and oppressing, colonizing, taking away land and committing genocide against against uh, people who are native to those lands. And this is this is a conversation that is ever unfolding. And I think it's happening a little bit more frequently. And it's something that we we cannot forget and cannot just set aside. And I think there's many communities around the world, including, yes, I'm going to say it, the New Age community, that uh, I feel needs to, you know, put a little bit more of a focus on these things. We can all meditate, we can all go vegan and do our yoga and, and you know, 
cure crystal healing and whatever it is. These are all very important things. But I feel in order to really affect positive change, we have to do more than that. We have to be active in our communities to build things and to help heal people who have been oppressed. And uh, again, this is this is for African people and as well, uh, you know, Aboriginal people that are out there. So, anyway, before we went to break, you're speaking about like this, you know, this idea of white supremacy and how there's something within them that makes them behave this way. Like I've always uh, was curious about that myself because when we when we look at them as a people, they seem to have some kind of uh, sociopathic or psychopathic way of behaving or just moving through reality and it's it's strange and it it has me asking a lot of questions like how did they become this way if we all came from africa what made them turn into this kind of a of a a group on our planet you're asking a very profound important question um i don't think i have a full answer to that question because it's a question that many of our ancestors asked, and we're still asking that today. Um, but what I will say is that if you look at and study the history of Europeans um, and the ideologies, uh, the set of ideas that have characterized their societies, um, they have been... Uh, for the most part, racist, like Nazi ideology. Um, ideologies around racial superiority have come out of Europe. Um, other ideas about women, even within their own cultures in places like England, France, and so forth, um, that relegated white women to second-class um, status and denied them the, the, the right to vote um, in elections um, and to have their voices heard. So I think for me, in terms of responding to that question, culture being the container of all human societies, each people comes from a specific culture, African culture, uh, European culture, which in themselves have diverse um, components, like within the context of African culture, you have Africans born outside of Africa, in the Caribbean, South America, and so on. And, and while they, they have that cultural and genealogical tie with Mother Africa, there's some very specific cultural norms that they have developed and internalized over the years. So culture among people can be very diverse, but looking within, sorry, the history of Europe, the different countries in Europe, like France, England, Germany, Portugal, Spain, and so on, um, there is a commonality with respect to um, the creation and development of negative ideologies that have been used to justify um, enslavement of African people, um, that have been used to colonize, for example, the indigenous people in the Americas, and then propping up Christopher Columbus as this great hero for having um, uh, sailed to uh, the Americas and founded, you know, these lands, which is a complete lie. Mm -hmm. So... 
I think culture explains a lot, and I'll, I'll just leave it at that. Yeah, and I think that that uh, brings me back to this idea of decolonization and how even our education system needs to be decolonized. Like, I remember being in grade 6, grade 7, grade 8, you know, the uh, curriculum that's here in Ontario uh, that teaches about our Aboriginal history. Like, it's like we barely even touch on anything. Everything is mostly about the wars that happened and how they you know, were these great heroes that won these wars and so on and so forth. And again, like you mentioned earlier, we, we don't often hear about the, the amazing epic contributions of other, of other communities. And I think that that definitely is an injustice that I like to see, you know, stop. I, I think especially for future generations, they need to have a full on wholesome perspective of what has actually gone on on this planet. And I think there's the, there's, old adage that says, you know, those who win the war are the ones that, you know, tell the history or create the history. And it seems that most, I I would say, history books, on modern history books, at least I can say, on this planet, have been created with a certain narrative that places the white race always at the top. And then everything else, I think, is, I guess, below that. And it's a kind of it's kind of a sad thing to to see. But besides that, you also commented on um, the fact that you think that these groups, or at least the, like the the group who identifies as being Caucasian, are threatened by African people, even with us in small numbers. And I think that says a lot. Yes, I, I agree with the essence of what you said. Um, it is true that their history and culture has shown that they um, feel threatened by us. Um, One of the components of this perception um, of fear or feeling threatened is because um, biologically um, their uh, scientists and, and doctors and other persons with a medical background recognize that our genes are the most powerful genes on the planet. Uh, so when you have, um, for example, an African man and a European woman who uh, procreate and they have a child, that child is often identified as being black um, because of the strength and power of, of our genes and the, the melanin that, that we possess as a people. So that's one of the ways that um, they have felt threatened by us. Like Dr. Francis Cress Welding talks about, um, you know, the psyche, the mindset of Caucasians or Europeans around the issue of um, genetic annihilation. They are Mm -hmm. actually afraid of being wiped out from the planet, becoming extinct, if they, they mix, procreate with with people of color, but in particular African people, because our genes are dominant and theirs are recessive in the sense that, as I said, when you mix the two, the child generally comes out looking more African. But I think there's also um, other things that they feel threatened by. The fact that we're the original people of the planet, Uh, we come from the richest continent on the earth, Africa, we built the first civilizations, we have a creative genius and humanity about us 
that is admired by people around the world, even though we don't often get credit or recognition for um, what we have created. You know, there's the whole thing around Kemet or what, what is now called Egypt and persons of European ancestry in the archaeological um, field who have waged a relentless campaign ideologically, politically, culturally, and so forth to try to claim Kemet as either um, European, the, the uh, inventions of Kemet and the beauty of ancient Kemet, Kemetic culture. They've tried to uh, appropriate that. So while they feel threatened by our sort of genealogy, there's also our culture and our creativity and our genius um, that counteracts the false notion of their racial superiority. Absolutely. And, and you, you, you brought up a really good point about uh, appropriation. Like this is a new, a new area of thought for me that I was just introduced to. I mean, I think cultural appropriation, we're not used to it being labeled as that, but I think there is an understanding out there, especially in, in, in people of color of what that is. And I think this is a huge, huge issue on this planet Like you mentioned uh, the archeological field of, of study They've been writing books about Egypt and their ideas about Egypt and making tons and tons of money from this material and their world tours and, and, and whatnot. And um, besides that, selling Egyptian like clothes or relics and things of that nature. And oh, my goodness, the, the, the list goes on of, of what uh, the white uh, community has appropriated and not even just from the African community, from uh, Aboriginal communities, from Chinese community. It, it's, it seems that the. They just pretty much they just take and have no afterthought of contributing back to these communities. Yeah, it's 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 clearly a part of their history and their culture. I keep going back to the point of history and culture as a reference for a people's ideology about their values, their mores and so on, because their history shows um, very conclusively that they have gone, like I said earlier, to virtually every corner of the earth and have colonized and have stolen from other nations of people, appropriated it, and not given any credit for it. Mm-hmm. So this is an integral part of their culture and their identity is the theft of lands, of ideas, of cultural artifacts and so forth. And then just saying, oh, this is ours. So we have to wake up to this reality as African people. And the solution for us is to organize ourselves. We must become better organized and involved in our communities. Hmm. And I also also wanted to comment quickly on the idea around uh, some of the traumas psychologically, emotionally, physically, spiritually that need to be healed uh, in the African community, especially around uh, this energy that permeates through a lot of African African communities, which is competitiveness. Uh, this this energy that is in within these communities, where you know we're not really working together, we're not really appreciating and respecting each other. We're in this like reptilian mind fight or flight energy of survival, 
And sometimes, yeah, we don't really fully support each other for that for that reason. Uh, what are your ideas around that? Again, I start from culture and history, and, and my analysis of this individualism and competitive mindset and spirit that we have acquired and has been imposed upon us is because the wider cultural framework of these white supremacists Oh, we have seemed to have uh, lost our guest here. We're going to get her back online. Um, we were just talking about cultural appropriation and, and talking about uh, this energy of competitiveness uh, throughout the African community and how it's a serious issue. In all my travels to the Caribbean, I've had a lot of profound conversations um, about competitiveness and, and whatnot and and how it hurt it hurts a lot of people and it makes them uh i don't know it may it makes them feel sad that you know their own people are are not able to communicate and work together um and unite to create a better change Form of greetings it's a beautiful day please oh we're still trying to get her back but yeah so it's this is a this is a very um common uh thing uh, for uh, uh, a lot of people out there to, to feel that in, within the African community, we're having issues of working together and respecting one another and showing each other love, uh, compassion and support. And I think this is something that we definitely have to work on as a people and to come together and really, um, uh, you know, recognize each other's gifts, celebrate one another and do what we can to help each other. There's one, you know, there's a few great things that I really appreciate about the Chinese and uh, Indian community. Within these communities, I've, I grew, I've had best friends who were a part of these communities. I've had the privilege to, you know, sit with their families, eat with them, spend lots of time with them. And one thing, or yeah, a few things I really appreciate about these communities is they work together. Like they hustle hard, they strategize, they organize and I think uh, the result of that kind of cooperation and collaboration is seen across the GTA here in Toronto, where they have a lot of cultural centers. Um, they have a lot of entrepreneurs who've opened up their own businesses. We're now seeing a, um, I guess, uh, increase in the political world with a lot of people in the Indian community getting more involved. And even for me, when it comes to voting, uh, in this country, in my in my city, and I see that there's uh, representation of color One people in the in the world of uh, politics. Uh, it's a it's a great thing to see. I think my guest phone has died. We're trying to get her back on the call, uh, but until then, I'm gonna just continue to like talk here with you. But yeah, when I see in the com in the political community uh, that there is representation of people of color, I always celebrate it. To me, it doesn't really matter if it's African or if it's Indian or whatnot. Um, in the end, like, I feel so grateful and so happy to see that because we need more of that. Essentially, if we're going to create the kind of change that we want to see on this planet, as I said in my live stream on Facebook, we're going to need the uh, cooperation of all these communities coming together. And in doing 
the work that I'm doing right now that I just started in, in, in trying to support the African community more and getting more involved in, in leadership uh, positions and whatnot. It's like my way of, you know, assessing and immediately assisting communities that are, are under direct attack and helping to alleviate some of that stress and alleviate some of, some of that um, pressure. And then I think my goal is after a certain point, I'm going to want to, you know, elevate a lot of these people within these organizations and get us to go out back out to the communities and reconnect. One thing I wanted to get to in the conversation that I wasn't able to quite touch on, I've had this kind of conversation with a lot of people of African descent in my community. And we speak about how in Toronto, especially in the, in the spiritually conscious community, there are a lot of events being set up and it doesn't seem to be inclusive. It doesn't include the Indian community. It doesn't include the Chinese community. It doesn't include the African community. It just pretty much uh, includes the white community. And very often, I would say over the past 10 to 11 years, when I go to events, I'm usually, usually the only uh, person of African descent at the event. And a lot of the times I feel extremely uncomfortable, but I, I kind of suppress that in those moments and try to ride the wave the best I can, but it's always in the back of my mind. And it, it bothers me that a lot of the people who organize these events do not put uh, a, a level of priority on creating events that reaches out to these other other ethnic communities, whether it's African, Chinese, or Indian. Specifically, we're having a discussion today on the African community, so I'll focus more on that. But yeah, so why is that not happening? This is this is a question that I would like to see answered. And I think that if these organizers are not placing a priority on that and they're not aware, it's about time that they become aware. Because you cannot, I feel like you cannot label yourself as being a light worker or being a person of this high spiritual consciousness if you are not even able to recognize these realities. And it's a harsh truth. People might think I'm extremely, you know, being a B-I-T-C-H for saying that, but it's straight up. It's legit. It's raw. It's real. If you're going to organize events, if you really want to heal this planet, if you really want to affect positive change, yes, there is that old adage that you must be the change that you want to see. I think a lot of us understand that you got to do your inner work. But then after you're you've done you've done doing that inner work or in the midst of you doing some of that inner work, you still got to again, like I said, you got to go out there, you got to build bridges between communities, you have to be inclusive. At the end of the day, I am a humanist. I will always be a humanist. I love all people. And so we have to like become more considerate and really place a priority to reach out into these other communities and welcome them. I feel that if the African community was welcomed more into attending these kinds of events, it would it would spearhead even more change. And as my guest Dandiwe uh, was saying earlier on the show, it, it seems that you know the white community, especially the ones who are in power, who are perhaps sociopathic or whatever, psychopathic, I don't know, or just people who have taken on toxic programs, they perceive the black community as being a threat. Why? Because they know that within the spirit of the African community lies a very powerful energy. And it's an energy that no one can put out. It's a, it's a flame that 
has always been ignited and has never been put out, not even from all the atrocities that have happened over the past four or 500 years. And that scares them. And I think this is, this is an important thing for us to think about. If black people are perceived in that way as being so powerful, then would it not be a good idea to include more black people in the things you want to accomplish? Would it not be a smart idea to empower them and to include them and to welcome them into your groups, into your events, into your organizations, into your activist initiatives? Would that not be a smart strategic plan? I think if black people, African people, if you want to call it, uh, were elevated more and appreciated, celebrated, supported, the kind of work these people would do on the planet to create a world of greater abundance and peace would be astounding. It would blow everybody's minds. I think we would see a huge shift overnight if some of these people were supported more. If you agree, leave me a comment. If you disagree, also leave me a comment. I would love to hear from some of you on on these ideas. I feel really passionately about this. There's a truth about all of that that truly resonates within me on a very, very, very deep level. Um, For me, for those of you who don't know, I am biracial. I am half Jamaican, half Indian. And within my bloodline, I also have Syrian in my blood. I also have Irish in my blood. So I have an appreciation for many cultures on this planet. But like Thendiwe said, when two people from different races procreate and one of them is African, the African genes take over. And you are then seen as being African. And that's been my experience, you know, as a human in in this world thus far, where I'm pretty much labeled as just being African. And I have no problem with that. I am very proud to be African. I'm very proud about my ancestors and our lineage and all the great things that come along with that. I'm still exploring what it means to be African. And as this program continues, as this show continues, we will be exploring more about African spirituality and uh, the, the hidden mysteries of, of African spirituality. I'm going to be having a few guests who are in the UK who are doing miraculous work in that area in the next, I think, few weeks or at least month. So stay tuned for that. But right now we're reaching the top of the hour. So today, uh, that this concludes uh, today's show. Uh, if you want to get the replay of this, you'll, you can get it up on my podcast. My information is on Facebook. It's on Twitter. It's on Instagram. Um, yeah, and then you can take a, take a listen to all my other previous programs as well. If you're listening, thank you so much for your support. Uh, thank you so much for sharing, commenting, and, and whatnot. I really appreciate it. Uh, you know, I'm not here just doing this for myself. I'm here doing this so that we can affect positive change on this planet and be catalysts to create a world of greater abundance and greater peace. So apart from that, have yourselves a wonderful afternoon and... Uh, an amazing duration to the rest of your week. Uh, Wishing you lots of uh, joy, peace, and blessings. See you all again next Thursday.